Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we'll be studying today, kind of in the middle of that chapter. Uh, I do want to say that when I arrived to the office this morning, uh, my key would not open my office door. And can I just tell you that as a pastor who has been away for a few days, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> a little bit nervous, but uh, don't worry, I got in. Don't ask me how, but it's fine. Uh, just so glad to be back with you. It's always good to be home. I tried to encourage those students even yesterday morning. I said, you know, camp is great, but you need a local body church. You need to be connected to the people of God. So we're so thankful for you as our church family. And if you don't have a church uh, and you're visiting with us, we'd love for you to make this your church family. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great privilege to be a part of it, and I think you would be blessed by being part of our family. So we are in a series called Peace Love Summer, and we've been talking about the peace of God and how that changes everything. And last week, uh, Pastor Rick talked about love, and I'm going to be moving on toward that topic in the next couple of weeks as well. But uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, the Lord kind of led me to change the message I was going to preach. And I had one more peace message, and I was like, man, I, I'm not going to leave that on the table. So uh, we talked about peace, and we talked about love. Now we're back to peace. So uh, if you are taking notes, this is technically peace, love, peace summer now, okay? Uh, but, but I want to talk about this for a few minutes because I think it's a passage that will help us as we think about our relationship with the Lord and how that creates peace in our lives. Uh, the fall of 2018 is, is a, a season that will forever be stamped in my mind for multiple reasons. For one, uh, Hurricane Harvey had ravaged southeast Texas where I lived at the time and it was one of those times where it just almost feels like a dream when I look back at it. You know, we, we drove a boat from the middle of town and like parked it in the yard of the school right in front of the cafeteria and went in and kind of broke in and got all of the food out of the cafeteria and took it back to the church so we could feed people who were displaced. It was fine. An employee from the school was helping us break in. That's how I knew how to get in my office this morning. Um, <laughs> But, but it's just one of those wild seasons, yet there were also so many God stories that happened in the midst of a difficult time. In fact, one of those God stories is that a group of people from a church called Crossroad Church in Wichita, Kansas, came to help us kind of rebuild and put life back together. And also while they were there, they stole a church's pastor, but we won't talk about that. But there's another big thing that happened in the fall of 2018, and that was something I will never forget. And that was, uh, I'm going to use the word my, my Houston Astros won their first World Series championship. Listen, I don't care if they were banging on trash cans or not, right? I'm claiming it. I loved it. It was awesome. And, and here's the thing. Here's what's weird about this, and this is embarrassing to share with you now, but I'm just going to come out with it. It's too late now. Uh, Mallory would make fun of me because I'm, this, is, this is embarrassing, but for like the next few months after that, when cruddy things would happen in our lives, I would literally say, but at least the Astros won the World Series. <laughs> Car breaks down, we don't have money to fix it, but the Astros won the World Series. He had like one of the coldest winters, which isn't cold for y'all, but it's cold for Southeast Texas. The homes aren't built for it. Crazy cold for three or four days. Heater goes out. At least the Astros won the World Series. And I just, it became like a thing for us. We would just say it all the time. So some of you maybe have, have things like that in your life that you've clung to from the past and said, but at least this happened. 
And now some of you, though, are maybe, look, it's summertime. Maybe you've got a vacation planned or a trip or, or, or maybe kids, you're thinking school, or maybe some of you are waiting to go to college and you're like, okay, so, so there's something in the future that I'm excited about, so I'm, I can make it through a difficult time today because vacation's coming next week, right? Uh, it's like work becomes a run-out-the-clock situation. I can get there if I can just push through a few more days. Unfortunately, some of you took your vacation last week for the holiday, and now you're like, this message is a couple weeks late, Pastor. It's fine. But there are times where I think I find myself really looking forward to the future, and I think, well, just hold on. It, it'll be good. And I've been thinking about how peace tends to operate in my life. Peace oftentimes for me is something that I look back and find something and I'm like, oh yeah, that feels good. Or I look forward to and say, that's going to be really good. But I don't know if those things often fill me with a present joy and a present peace. But what I want us to do today is discover that peace comes from pressing into Jesus today, in the present. When we truly know Jesus and have a relationship with him, it changes our past, it changes our future, but church, it also ought to change our present. We're able to joyfully look back at our salvation experience, we're able to to look to the future, to when the Lord is going to come back, or when we're going to go be with him, but when that happens, it ought to give us a joy and a peace today. See, there's a difference between the worldly joy and peace that, that we find and the peace and joy that comes through the gospel. The peace of Christ not only delights us when we look back and when we look ahead, but it has the power to change the right here and the right now. So regardless of where you're at, some of you today may be doing well, some of you maybe not so well. And I just want to say to you, regardless of where you're at, peace is available. And when you know that, it allows us to press on toward the call of Christ. So let's get to this text and see what the word of God instructs us on how we get there. Verse 12 is where we'll start here in Philippians chapter 3. The word of the Lord says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, do not, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray and then we'll let the word of God speak to us. God, we come to you asking you to do what you do in this time. And that is communicate your truth to us in a way that we can engage with it, process it, apply it, and leave changed. So God, thank you for molding and shaping us every time we open your word. And I pray you would continue that good work in us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, obviously, we dove right smack into the middle of one of Paul's letters. Uh, I really want to teach the book of Philippians, but I'm still in the middle of the book of Colossians. So uh, the Lord will have to uh, give us that time at a future point. But we've preached many passages here in Philippians together. And what we see is that in this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, there is this call 
to find peace in the present, and it speaks to how our past and our future help us live in that peace today. In verse 11, the verse right before we started, it said that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, that seems like weird language, but when you kind of dive into the context that's happening here, you see that Paul was talking about having a real relationship with Jesus that leads to a life of joy and living in light of eternity. It's the idea that we can live with joy and peace today because we know that there is coming a day when we will live with joy forever and ever and ever because we will live with Jesus. Peace is coming, and because peace is coming, we can have peace today. There is coming a day, friends, when all sin, pain, and darkness will be gone forever. And while we look forward to that day, aren't we faced with the hard realization that we're not there yet? So Paul says, man, I'm working and I'm straining so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he simply says, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) Can you relate to that? It's relatable, y'all. I'm not there yet. This is one of the conundrums of the Christian faith. There you go, conundrum. Put that on your vocabulary list. Y'all went to Southeast Texas where their vocabulary is impeccable. It's another word for the list. Man, I'm killing it today. (laughs) One of the wild things about the Christian faith is that we claim victory And we say that this victory gives us hope and peace and joy and and life. And we have this glorious inheritance as sons and daughters of God. But then there's this disclaimer verse. I'm not there yet. But I'm excited about this message because I truly believe this has the power to change your life today. Because one thing I think we've done as believers and as the church is we've taught this concept well. But I think we've stopped the the concept at the first half of verse 12. So we say, I'm saved, hallelujah, there's a future for me, praise the Lord, but I'm not there yet. So until then, I guess I'll just sit around and wait for the Lord to come back or for me to go to him. Can I just level with you? I think that is really Bible Belt Christianity in a nutshell. Let's get them saved. That's why we do, you know, I preached at that camp last week. That's what everybody asked me. The first thing that everyone was asking me, how many people got saved? And can I say, praise the Lord, uh, we, we want that. And there were a dozen kids who gave their lives to Christ, and I am pumped about that. We should be celebratory and excited when people come to Christ. But can I tell you that I didn't have anybody say, so, so how many of them were growing in their faith? How many did you have that you think saw some life transformation? We just kind of like, we're all about like, let's get them saved, let's get them dunked, and then they're good, let's move on to the next one. But y'all, we say it so many times that, that salvation is not the finish line, but it's the starting line of the Christian life. It's not about just sitting around and waiting for the Lord to come back. And uh, y'all, y'all know I love me some good Southern gospel music, but, but one thing that I've always kind of lamented about it, even when I was involved in quite a bit of it, is that so many of the songs are about, we're just going to sit around and wait for heaven. It's all right, one day he's going to come. Until then, let's just all hunker down. And I'm like, no, Jesus didn't call us just to sit. You were not saved to sit. You were saved to be on mission for Jesus. That's why I love this section of scripture. 
Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to live in light of eternity, but I'm not there yet. So I'm pressing on. I'm not there yet. I'm not there, so I'm pressing on. So this is a theological sermon that I haven't really introduced a theological term. So let me just give you a term that we've talked about quite a bit here at Crossroad. The term is progressive sanctification. So sanctification is the process of becoming sanctified or holy. So the idea is that every day you and I, if we're believers, are being molded and shaped into the likeness of Christ. It's not like one day you get saved and boom, totally sanctified. I, that would make my job a lot easier as a believer and a pastor. <laughs> as a follower of Christ and an under-shepherd to Christ, it would be awesome if you got saved and then everything was fixed in our lives. But that's not how it works. Every single day, God is molding and shaping us into the men and women he wants us to be. And that process began the day you gave your life to Christ, the day you were saved. And that's going to continue until you stand before him one day. So in a nutshell, Paul says, I'm not there yet, but I press on. The Christian life is a life of progressive sanctification. We're called to constantly be growing into the image of Christ. If you really know Jesus, then you will really grow in Jesus until you see Jesus face to face. If you really know him, you will really grow in him until you see him. That's progressive sanctification. So there's a beautiful picture of this here in Philippians 3. And really what this revolves around here in the text, the the hinge of this paragraph is verse 14. Look at that with me again. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm not there, but I'm pressing on toward the prize. And what is the prize? The call of Christ. And the call of Christ is to know him and to surrender everything to him. So what I want us to think about here for a few minutes is how it is that we press on. Like, I think the phrase press on is a fantastic slogan, isn't it? Like, man, like when you're going through hard times, press on. Like, uh, you know, there's tons of songs written about this with this concept, and this passage is, is really what has spurred that, and I love it, and it's great. But practically, what do we mean when we say press on? I want to tell you that today. When we say press on, here's what it means. We press on by pressing in to Jesus. We press on by pressing into Jesus. So some of it's like, you know, it's like, hey, listen, just keep pushing. Just keep going. Can I tell you a lot of you Christ followers in here, that is terrible advice. If you're going through Hades right now in your life and everything's a mess, sometimes there are some well-meaning believers who will just say, keep pushing through, brother. But maybe the reason you're in the middle of a mess is because you've been trying to push through instead of pressing into Jesus. In order to press on, we must press into Jesus. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love how the Christian Standard Bible translates this verse. It says, I make every effort to take hold of it because Jesus has taken hold of me. So I'm not there yet, 
But Jesus has so gripped my life that I want to grip him. We press on by pressing in. If we're to grow in Christ, we do that by knowing him more and loving him more, striving to grow in our relationship with him. Now, now it's important for me to say this. We don't do this and we don't grow because of our efforts. Instead, we press into Jesus and the more we know him, the more we desire to know him, the more we desire to grow in him and we commune with him. And when we do that, we want to make our lives all for him. So I'm not doing all of these things so that Jesus will hold on tight to me. I'm doing these things because Jesus is holding on tight to me. There's a big difference, y'all. But at the same time, the call is to press in, to hold tight. I I read a a great word. I think it was Dallas Willard. I, I can't remember if it was him or the other dude. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. But a lot of times when we talk about grace, I'll find it for you if you're interested. I didn't mean to sound flippant, so just email me if you're worried about it. He, he said there's a big difference between grace and thinking that you have to earn things. It, but there's a difference that grace does not mean we don't put effort forward. In fact, the opposite is true. So I think if we're not careful, when we talk about the doctrine of grace, it's like, he's already done it all, so just quit trying. Paul doesn't say that, does he? No, he says, because it's already been done, I press on. Not to earn God's grace, not to earn his salvation, but because of his grace. Because he is holding on to me, I'm going to make every effort to cling and hold on to him. Let me illustrate it for you this way. So my boys are are still little enough that sometimes I cart them around somewhere, right? Like I'm carrying them. And yes, I've been told with all four of them that I hold them like a football. That's fine. None of them have been broken yet, okay? Still time, I guess. But when I carry one of the boys into a situation that they're a little bit fearful of, or, or maybe it's a new group of people, or a new place, or maybe there's a cat or a dog that they don't know, can I tell you, and if you're a parent, you've experienced this, the grip that happens. Like, they are locked onto you. If I wanted to, like, shuck them off of me, I couldn't. Like, they are on me. But, but listen to me. Let me also tell you this. If they were to go completely limp, and even try to get away from me, they're not going anywhere. Why? Because daddy's got them. I'm holding on to them. In the same way, I think that the Lord calls us in verse 12 to cling to Jesus, but knowing that as we cling to him and press into him, we do so knowing that he is actually holding on to us and will not let us go. Isn't he a glorious savior, church? He says, know me, really know me. And you don't have to be afraid of swinging and missing because you're going to. But just cling to me. I'm holding on to you. Hold on to me and grow in me. Press on by pressing in to Jesus. Second truth we see in this text is a call to press on by living in light of eternity. 
living in light of eternity. This takes a little bit of digging, but look with me in the text at verse 15. Let those of you who are mature think in this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. This call to mature thinking here in this text is a call to live in light of eternity. We see that kind of coming to bear in the next paragraph, if you want to look at that, where Paul is going to call on the Philippians to focus on the return of Christ, not the tyranny of the urgent. As I think about maturity and wisdom, it's really all about knowing that the here and the now is not always the most important thing. I'm reminded again of of toddlers. Sorry, it's just a big part of my life in this season. They will have an absolute, complete meltdown over something that is absolutely insignificant. It's like, I'm sorry we're out of apple juice. I think the cran grape will work today. Sorry, I slipped into testimony time a little bit there. But, it, but it's like this thing is the most important moment ever, so I'm going to flip out. And folks, that is a sign of immaturity. And I don't want to get in trouble, but, but can I just tell you that this isn't just toddlers? I see this in me. I see this in others. There are times where I will just be freaking out about something that feels like such a big deal. And a loving brother or sister in Christ will be like, man, man, it's really not that big of a deal. Isn't it wild that oftentimes the things that you're losing sleep about tonight are things that won't matter like in a couple weeks? Isn't that crazy? And I know that I'm not speaking to every one of your situations because I know some of you have some things that, that are more than a couple week problems. But so many of the things that we fret about, that we worry about, that keep us from experiencing peace end up being insignificant sometimes in days rather than weeks. So a sign of maturity or wisdom is really knowing what is important and when it is important. We're talking about this spiritual wisdom and the spiritual maturity that this text is bringing out. It's the idea of knowing that our lives must be viewed through the lens of eternity. As we've been talking about anxiety and worry, you know, in a series about peace, we've had to talk a lot about those things because these are what rob us of peace. One thing the Lord's been reminding me and really convicting me about is how little time I spend thinking about things of eternal value and significance. I spend a lot of my time, effort, and energy, whether that's at home or even here as a pastor, thinking about things that will not matter in a hundred years. And listen, the, the call is not for us to just say, well, let's just abandon all of that then. That wouldn't be wise. But it's so easy to be consumed with the urgent needs of the day, the things that we think are so important. But when you zoom out and get a little bit of perspective, when you look at your life through the lens of eternity, it changes things. When you hear testimonies from people who have an expiration date that's coming, that they're going to go home to be with the Lord soon and they know they're dying and we see how they respond to that. 
Or when we see a movie with that story, or when we hear a song, and we see like that classic trope in every single sitcom ever, right? Where someone thinks they're going to die, and what do they do? They just start going and eating whatever they want, and jumping out of planes, and fulfilling the bucket list, and all of that. Can I tell you, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, we got to live like we're dying, y'all go get ready to bungee jump tomorrow, we're doing it. No, that's not what he says. He says, when you think about eternity, when you think about what matters most in your life, it makes us think this radical thought that if the end is near and if eternity is real, how should I be living today? That's what this passage is inviting us to. Think about eternity, friends. I'm not there yet, so I press on. Jesus is holding fast to me, so I'm going to hold fast to him. This is the picture of a mature Christian's life. I get saved, and now every day I'm walking with Jesus, and he is helping me grow into his likeness day by day by day. And there's going to come a day when that process will be over, and I will be complete with him and will stand with him in glory. I'm not there yet, but I press on. When things are difficult, I press on. When things are crazy, I press on. When anxiety and worry attack, I press on. This is the life of someone who knows Jesus. One more truth that I think brings this somewhat full circle. We press on by rejoicing. The word rejoice, if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, is one of the hallmarks of this letter. It's all over the place. Perhaps uh, most familiar to us in chapter 4 where it says rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't hear me the first time, rejoice. It's the rusty paraphrase version. RPV. Available in the bookstore on your way out. Rejoice. And it's hard to rejoice sometimes when you're in the middle of difficult circumstances, isn't it? It's hard to rejoice when you don't feel it. It's hard to rejoice when you're trying to press on and you realize how woefully not there you are. It's a challenge. But this word continues to come up. And there's a truth behind all of this. The Christian life, when you look at the past and when you look at the future, should cause you to rejoice in the present. So how do you rejoice? Well, I don't have anything to rejoice about right now. Pastor, you don't know what I've been going through. Well, here's what I know what you were going through. You were bound toward an eternity in hell, separated from the God who created you to worship him and enjoy him forever. And you were gonna spend an eternity facing his wrath But God loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus to intervene in your life in such a miraculous way that you surrendered everything to him. And he brought you from death into life. Can I tell you what that ought to make you do today? Rejoice. Today, right here, right now. 
You say, well, you, you don't know how hard it is. Man, can I just tell you that everybody goes through hard times? Y'all, I uh, oof, did something really difficult this past week. The, the theme of this camp was story. So we're all just like, God, God's going to write your story, and everything's happy-go-lucky. And the Lord really pressed on my heart to talk about what happens when your story stinks. Because I know the statistics. In a room of 400 teenagers, there's more than you would want to know statistically who've been sexually abused. There's more than you would want to know that have been physically abused. There's more than you want to know. In fact, I heard two different stories of people who in the last six months, kids had lost a parent unexpectedly. So I preached a message that I called Plot Twist. Went a little old school, brought a little Habakkuk to them. I got to tell you, when I uh, told them that we were going to the book of Habakkuk, they made the same face y'all did where you thought, okay, Rusty, I'm not falling for that prank. There's not a book in the Bible called Habakkuk. I was like, there is, (laughs) there is, find it. It's right between Nahum and Zephaniah. And they're like, okay, this is crazy. But y'all, can I tell you that, that the stories that came out of that were so heartbreaking that night as people were talking to their student pastors and, and even coming to share with me some of the things that they were going through. And it just reminded me again how every single person you see is facing things that you have no idea. Can I tell you what the enemy loves to do, by the way? Nobody knows. Some, you know, like you're the only one. Oh, but can I tell you, the people sitting across from you that are smiling and drinking their, you know, latte right now, if, that, if, that, if you were taking a drink as I said that, I apologize. I wasn't looking at you. I tell you, they got stuff going on too. So if you're in the middle of it, I want to remind you to look to the past and rejoice. But can I tell you what else the Bible says? We have a glorious future that awaits us. We are going to spend eternity worshiping the one who created us, the one who saved us, and the one that is today sustaining us, and the one that will one day glorify us and make us complete in him. And he has promised us that everything we walk through on this side of eternity is preparing us for that day. So friends, not only do we look to our salvation and rejoice today, we look to the future that is bright if you are in Christ and we rejoice today. But at the same time, can I tell you this? I'm not there yet. When I have a bad day or a bad season, oh, it was hard. And my family was going through absolute crud when I was preaching that Habakkuk series. I hated it more than y'all did. It's the worst. Yet in the midst of that, to be reminded of the truth of God and his sovereignty was something that I needed in a desperate way. So look back, rejoice. Look forward, rejoice. Today, whatever your life looks like, we can rejoice. So I want to encourage you by reminding you that he is holding on to you. You know, one thing that that happens when you have toddlers is that sometimes they don't only just go limp. Sometimes they actively want to get away from you. Have you had that moment too? So I talked about the clinging, but have you had the moment where they decide they want down, but it's not an okay time for them to get down? They're like flailing and doing all kinds of stuff. 
I've dropped my kid a few times. <laughs> Just need to come clean. That's what's wrong with them. Have you talked to them? I mean, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But can I tell you something? Even when you are flailing and pushing away and fighting with all your might, can I just tell you something today? He's got you. And he is holding on to you in a real way today. So can I just invite you to press on by taking hold of what's taken hold of you? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this call to press on. And Lord, pressing on is not just a trite statement for us, but this text makes it clear to us that we <clears throat> press on by pressing into you and your presence. So God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that today would be a day of encouragement. Lord, that they would find peace not only in the past and the future of worldly things, but God, we would look to our past in you and our future in you and that that would cause us to rejoice today. So God, I just thank you for your truth and I pray that you would help us respond to it in a way that would honor and glorify you.